Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that you're present with us by the power of your Holy Spirit and speaking to us from and through your living Word and living in our hearts. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to be open to you today and that you would speak for your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to read from God's Word, and we're reading um, from uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and um, we're going to spend some time in here over the next few weeks in Corinthians, looking at, as we look at our first um, vision priority. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's on page 1154, if you want to pick up a church Bible. Uh, or follow on your device, or the words will be on the screen. And Paul writes this. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does, dis it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Well, a few days ago, at uh, a few days ago, December 29th actually it was, and uh, just between Christmas and the New Year, uh, my nephew, uh, nephew Thomas and his fiancée Emily were married, uh, and there's a, a picture of them, a happy couple. Uh, they were married in Grey Abbey uh, Church, and they asked me to officiate at the wedding. I know, right in the middle of my week off, <laughs> it was a, kind of a busman's holiday for me. Uh, but it was, of course, it was a great privilege. It was a great pleasure. It was a great honor to, uh, for me to lead my nephew and his bride in the, the taking of their marriage vows and to proclaim them husband and wife. And it was a very special day for all of us. It really was. And during the wedding service, this passage I've just read was, was read uh, by my, my niece, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. 
And this is a passage of Scripture that's often read at weddings. And, and, and yes, it's easy to see why, because it's one of the great love passages of the Bible. In this short passage of, of just 13 verses, the word love is mentioned nine times. Nine times. And of course, it's a very appropriate reading for a wedding for a man and a woman coming together to express their love for one another in marriage. But 1 Corinthians 13 is also about something much bigger than just being a nice, if slightly sentimental, reading to be brought out for a wedding. Of course, it's very appropriate for a bride and groom, but you know, it was not written exclusively for brides and grooms. It was not written even exclusively for husbands and wives. No, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 to the church. He wrote it to a whole congregation of people in all sorts of relationships, single, married, widowed, divorced, separated, or whatever. 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a congregation of all sorts of people, a congregation just like us, all sorts of people. And it was written to apply to all sorts of people in the church down through the generations. And so, as it was not exclusively written for just a bride and a groom, so neither was it written exclusively for just a wedding day. No, 1 Corinthians 13 was written to a congregation for everyday use. It's a passage that guides us, challenges us, inspires us in how we are to relate to all people in every relationship and on every day of our lives and it's a real gem. And it's a good place to start this morning as we start into our new series, Deeply Connected. As we start at the start of this new year to focus on the priorities of our new God-given vision for us as a church family here at Orangefield, together with Jesus bringing life to Belfast and the nations. And so, we start this morning by homing in on our, our first uh, priority of our vision, deep connections, deep connections growing as God's family, marked by hospitality, authenticity, and deeply committed relationships. And over the, the next few weeks, we'll be using Paul's first letter to the Corinthians to help us to explore God's vision for relationships, for the different relationships within our lives, both with Him and with one another and to see how we can better grow as His family and be more deeply committed and united to Him and to one another. <clears throat> it's a great passage to go for some guidance, some challenge, some inspiration on how to do that. For Paul says here in verse 1, he says, I will show you the most excellent way. Our ears should be perking up at that because Paul has much to say in the New Testament. He writes about half of it. But he says, here, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And then at the very first verse of the next chapter, he says, follow the way of love. And in between these two bookends, he shows us what this love looks like, and he helps us to understand how to better live it out, to live out this way of love. And we so need this, we so need this teaching. We so need this encouragement, this explanation. Because the word love that we so readily bandy about, bandy about can mean so many different things, can't it? You know, the word love is one of the most used and probably one of the most misused or abused words in 
the English language. You know, for instance, I might say that I love my mother, I love rugby, and I love pickled eggs. But the word love would mean different things in those different contexts, wouldn't it? Well, at least my mother would certainly hope so. So in our reading, what is meant by the word love? What does real Christian love look like? Well, these verses were originally written in Greek, just like the whole of the New Testament. And, 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 and I am no Greek language expert. In fact, I think I know two words in Greek, and one of them's kebab, and, and I think that's Turkish. <laughs> so I went to my Bible commentary, as I often do, and it tells me there that unlike the English language, which has only one word for love, the Greek language actually has four words, four different words to describe different types of love. And you may have heard this before. I'm sure you have if you've been in Orangefield for any length of time. But it's worth just clarifying this and reminding ourselves of this. The first Greek word that we might say is the, the word eros. It's where we get the word erotic from. And it refers to the love of a sensual or sexual attraction. And it's an important and wonderful gift from God to married couples and to be enjoyed within the marriage covenant. The second word, Greek word for love, is storge, and it's the, that instinctive love that a parent and child have for one another. It's a strong and impor important parental bond of love. The third word is philia. It's where we get philanthropy from. And this refers to the kind of love of, of charity that we would have towards a friend. And then that fourth and most important Greek word, for love is that word agape. And it's the word agape that Paul uses here in 1 Corinthians. And agape is the unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that always, always puts the other first. And the Bible, you see, the Bible uses the word agape when it speaks of God's love for us. It's agape love that Jesus speaks of in John 3, 16 when He says, for God so loved the world, for God so agaped the world, that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the agape love, it's a decision of the will to act in the other person's best interests, whether we feel like it or not. It's getting down from the supper table and washing dirty feet, even the feet of the one who would betray you to death. It's about being willing to lay down your life to save people who don't care about you, to save, in fact, even those people who are killing you. At the cross, at the cross we see agape love demonstrated most fully. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. That song speaks of the floodgates of heaven opening and God's agape love being poured out and out and out and out and out on us. 
on us. Receive it today. Receive it today. The cross is what real agape love looks like. So now we know. Now we know which Greek word for love is being used in this passage. And what that particular love looks like. It's the way God loves us and it's the way God calls us to live. To act towards others as well. You see, this passage speaks of the way of love as a way of life, a way of living. And it's a way that chimes right in with our first priority as a congregation for the way of love as a way of life leads us inevitably to becoming more deeply connected to one another, more deeply committed in our relationships and to growing in love as God's family in this place. And I want to tell you that I already see much love being shared in and from this place and between you amongst members of this church family. I see it. I hear stories of it every day. I'm very thankful for it. Be encouraged. I see much evidence here of hospitality, of authenticity, of committed relationships already in place, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank you. But in 1 Corinthians here, Paul sets out a way of life that challenges, encourages us on to grow in this way of life, inspires us to further share the love, to deepen the existing relationships, to build new ones, and how to maintain and develop those connections. And you see, Paul sets out his teaching on love in the context of a whole raft of different gifts. And he talks about these in the, the chapters either side, on chapters 12 and 14, and some of them also here in chapter 13. But Paul mentions uh, gifts, verse 1 of tongues, verse 2 of prophecy and knowledge and faith, verse 3 of giving. And he encourages us to eagerly seek these gifts. But he also reminds us in verse 13 that the greatest of these is love. In fact, he says, without love, I could have all the other gifts, but without love, I would have nothing. Nothing. So he invites us, encourages us to eagerly seek the other gifts. But the greatest of these gifts is love. Love is foundational. Love is central. Love must inform how we use all the other gifts that God so graciously gives us. And you see, Paul reminds us too here in verse 8 of how these other things will all pass away. But love, it's one of the few things, isn't it? That lasts forever. God, God's Word, God's church, God's love, these things last forever. These are the things we want to focus on. These are the things we want to invest our lives in, are they not? Love, he says in verse 8, it lasts forever because love never fails. Aren't those three beautiful little words? Verse 8, love never fails. Full stop. God wants us to get that. Love never fails, it never ends, it never stops. Love is eternal, love is everlasting. 
And then Paul spells out for us here as well in verses 9 to 12. He says, how our love will be made complete when the one who is complete, the Lord Jesus Christ, when He returns. You see, on that wonderful day when Jesus comes back, He will finish the good work that He has begun in us. And we and our love will be complete, just as even now He and His love is complete. And then Jesus tells us, He says in John 13, 34, and 35, He says, a new command I give you. He shows us what His love is like, and then He says, a new command I give you, now love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then He says, He tells us how the world will know we are His disciples. And you know, sometimes we, we think all sorts of different things that, that might make us distinctive in the world, and how they will know we are His disciples. But Jesus gives us one. The world will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Oh, it, it's challengingly simple, isn't it? The world will know that we are his disciples. The world will know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. And as I've said, in 13 verses, the word love is mentioned here nine times. So this is a good place to go to to help shape us into the people of love, deeply connected to Him, to one another, to help shape us into the church that Jesus has redeemed and called and commissioned and anointed and filled us to be. Ephesians 5, Paul tells us, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Why did He come? Why did He die? Who does He love? Christ loved the church, and give Himself up for her. And you know, the Bible tells us that our God is many things. He is many things. He is indescribable. He has many things. But 1 John 4 tells us that God, amongst other things, God is love. God is love. And so, it's important for us to know that we don't love in order to make Him love us, or in order to, to try and work our way into His favor. No, He comes. He comes to the cross. He dies for us. He rises again. He is love. He says, this is how I love you. He offers us that love. He invites us into that love. He has taken the initiative. He always takes the initiative. And John writes, we love why? To try and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps? No. We love because He has first loved us with an amazing grace. And of course, our loving and living the way of love will immediately be seen in how we think and speak and act. And this love is completely countercultural. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul's description of the action and behavior produced by love is distinctly countercultural. We don't encounter it out there in the world. And this way of love speaks against the envy, the pride, the self-centeredness of this world. You see, as a society, we're self-centered. We're obsessed with the selfie, aren't we? 
And I just found this out during the week as well as I was doing some research that between 2008 and 2021, more than 400 people died accidentally as they tried to capture the perfect selfie. Yes, they fell off the cliff, the train ran over them, or the bear caught up with them. When they were doing what? Trying to get a perfect photograph of themselves. As a society and as individuals, much is presented out there in terms of self, self-awareness, self-esteem, self-acceptance, self-image, self-realization. So to present a way of existence in which a person lives for the other, living a life of loving self-sacrifice, it's highly countercultural. It's radical, it's revolutionary, it's provocative. It's going to get people's attention. They're going to ask questions. And then we're going to say, yes, we love because He has first loved us. And you. So following the one who gave His life as a sacrifice, for us it will be a humbling and undoubtedly costly in terms of human recognition and progress as far as secular society defines it actively seeking downward mobility, taking up our cross, and following in the footsteps of the one who humbled himself to death on a cross. It's completely countercultural to a world which is seeking upward mobility. It's the kind of, this kind of agape love that caused Jesus to suffer and die on the cross, that's the kind of love described here in 1 Corinthians. That's the love that God has for us and that He calls us to live out in our lives as His church going forward. So, with Paul's help here and, and with the Holy Spirit's help, let's just unpack briefly this agape love a little. Paul begins by describing it in a positive way. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Just a couple of words, but they mean a lot, don't they? Patience and kindness are two qualities that we will want to strive to maintain and to develop in all of our relationships. Now, we all know that patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Found seldom in a woman, but never in a… Nah, I don't believe that. <laughs> within our relationships, within all of our relationships, both men and women, we will all need to have and to exercise patience with one another. And kindness kindness towards one another. You know, I saw a little poster recently, and it said on it, of all the things that you can be, be kind. Of all the things that you can be, be kind. I like that. I like that. Because, you know, love can sometimes be a difficult thing to pin down, but we all know what kindness looks like. We all know when someone is being kind to us, don't we? And you know, sometimes within our relationships, whether they be with one another in the church or the home or the workplace or the neighborhood, things aren't always rosy in the garden, sure they're not. There are times in our various relationships when we will need to work at being kind to one another. Times when we will need to use little words of kindness, little words of great big importance, words like sorry, Please, thank you. Words that will keep the wheels on our relationships turning 
smoothly. And acts of kindness as well, for actions speak louder than words, don't they? So how about showing some kindness for another through perhaps inviting them around for dinner or sending them over a meal or giving a lift, helping with some task around a home, a card, a text, a phone call, a listening ear, a bunch of flowers. As I said, I'm very thankful for seeing these things happening amongst you, amongst us, from hearing wonderful stories of these things happening. But let's encourage one another on in these things. Of all the things that we can be, let us be kind. So Paul tells us what agape love does, and then he tells us what agape love doesn't. He says in verses 4 to 6, love does not envy, love does not boast, love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. You see, in our various different relationships, there will be times when we will be tempted to be at least some of these things that love is not. And then at times like that, we must remember God's love for us and for the other. And as we draw on His great love for us, we will find the power to overcome the temptation to be envious, perhaps of our friends or colleagues' popularity or attention. He will give us the power to overcome the temptation to be boastful of our own accomplishments. He will give us the power to overcome the temptation to be proud, too proud perhaps to say those words, sorry, please, and thank you. You see, if we pattern our lives, our love for each other after the love that God has for each of us, then we will not dishonor each other. We will respect one another. We will put the interests of others before our own, and we will not be easily angered. We will control our temper. And we will keep no tally. I love that God is not keeping any record of my wrongs. That's good news for me. I don't know about you. Good news for me. And so he calls us, keep no tally of how many times we've been wronged and how many times we've had to forgive. We just keep forgiving as God keeps forgiving us. And then we keep our distance from anything that is evil, and we will ask the Lord to forgive us for the evil that is even at times within our own hearts. And then Paul finishes his description of, of this agape love, verses 6 and 7, by the, again describing it in a positive way. Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So what's he saying? He's saying, brothers and sisters, let us not be quick to find fault with each other or with anyone for that matter, but let us work on building trust and trusting each other. Let us protect each other from words and actions that would hurt or harm. Let us have one another's backs. And let us nip any whiff of gossip or slander or backbiting or negativity swiftly in the bud. And let us bring instead words of hope and words of encouragement, words that build up and words that inspire. Perseverance, let us persevere in love through the challenges of life and our lives, our relationships, our families, our churches, our communities will flourish as God intends. And so just as I finish, 
Paul reminds us here in verse 8 of that wonderful truth, that beautiful bottom line. Love never fails. God's love. God's love and a love that is built on His love never fails. Oh, yes, human love is fickle and weak, but God's love is stable and strong. As the psalmist often reminds us elsewhere as well as just here in Psalm 136, he says, God's love endures forever. Wow, just a few words, but something is eternal, deep and wide. It's a little song we used to sing, you know, the love of Jesus is so wonderful, so high you can't get over it, so low you can't get under it, so wide you can't get right of it. Wonderful love never fails. His love is strong. His love endures forever. You see, our God is the source, the wellspring of a love that never fails. And day by day, He wants to give us that unfailing love. Romans tells us, Paul writes in Romans, that He pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that He has given us. And you know, there's a number of different ways that He will do that through the various different means of grace that He will pour His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. The first is this, He gives us His love as we read His Word. It's His great love letter, His love letter to us. In here we read most clearly of God's great, unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing agape love. And you know, we're just at the beginning of a new year, so why not start some Bible reading program or plan? Why not subscribe to some Bible reading notes for this year? He gives us His love as we come to Him in prayer and prayers of adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, both individually in our personal quiet times and, and corporately in our prayer meetings in church on Sunday and on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. He gives us His love as we, as, as we engage in prayer ministry, as we let others pray with us and for us. He gives us His love as we take part in 24-7 prayer. The board's out there now for the Clara Wood one. Let me encourage you to take a slot and sign up. And He pours His love into our hearts by His Holy Spirit as we, as we worship Him. In our own homes and here on Sundays morning and evening, when we gather, we worship Him in, in, in different ways, amongst other things, in song, through the sacraments, and in our offering, in being generous with our treasures, our time, and our talents. He gives us His love as we serve Him. And we can serve Him in all sorts of different ways through various church organizations and activities throughout the week. And if you're not already serving on a, 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 a ministry here, then why not think about that? There are many different ways of serving in the church and in the community. If you'd like to find out more about that, please just ask us. And God gives us His love as we share it with others through outreach. For there is simply no better way of receiving God's love than sharing God's love. He uses us as a channel of His love out to the world. Sharing it is the best way to receive it. And one of the, one of the ways that we do that here at Orangefield is through our Alpha course. And as you've already heard, there's, we have two new courses starting within the next couple of weeks, Tuesday, 16th of January, in Art Cafe, 
Wednesday, 17th of January, in Oak Center in Clarewood. Please check these out or register for them through the church website or the Friday email or by contacting the office or speak to Brian Campbell or Amanda Forsyth. But Alpha is a great way to both receive and share God's love. If you haven't already done Alpha, let me encourage you to sign up for it. And if you have already done Alpha, then let me ask you, who are you going to invite to the next one? And then through these various different means, as we receive God's great agape love for us, as we become channels of His love and allow it to flow to us and through us, our connections with Him and with others will develop. We will become more deeply connected. We will grow as God's family. We will be a people more clearly marked by hospitality, authenticity, and deeply committed relationships. And with His help and by His grace, we will be increasingly effective in our calling, fulfilling our God-given vision to gather with Jesus, bringing life to Belfast and the nations. And He will build His church, and we will be blessed, and He will receive all the glory because love never fails. Amen. Shall we pray together? for a moment. Let us pray. Father God, we thank You and we praise You that You have shown us the most excellent way, the way of love. We thank You that at the cross You most fully shown us what this great love, agape love, looks like, unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that always puts others first. We thank You and we praise You that You are love, that we don't have to strive to try and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps so that You might like us. No, Christ loved the church and has already given Himself up for her. And we therefore love not to try to gain Your favor, but in grateful response to Your love for us, we love because You have first loved us. So pour afresh, we pray, your love into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us your love as we day by day take opportunities to read your Word, to come to you in prayer, to worship you, to serve you, and to share your love with others. And we take a moment in worship now, in the silence, in prayer, before God to receive His love right now. We open our hearts, our minds, our lives, and we receive His love now as we continue in prayer and in a moment of silence before Him. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour Your love into our hearts, we pray. And then we take a moment to ask God how He would like us to better share His love, how He would like us to better share His love amongst our family, our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. Lord, show us now how to better share Your love. Who with? So, Lord, empowered by Your Spirit and drawing on Your grace, 
we will build our lives upon your love, for it is a firm foundation. And we will put our trust in you alone, and we will not be shaken. For there is no one like you. There is none beside you. So open up our eyes in wonder and show us who you are and fill us with your heart and lead us in your love to those around us. For we pray all these things for your glory alone, in the power of the Spirit, and in the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ, our crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, and returning Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen.